This podcast is presented to you by the School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University in Boiling Springs, North Carolina. The School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb University exists to prepare men and women for Christian ministry, namely the work of the Lord's Church. Our two degrees, the Master of Divinity and the Doctorate of Ministry, are carefully designed to equip and encourage ministers for the calling that God has placed on their lives. The Master of Divinity offers six concentrations, and the Doctorate of Ministry can be obtained in either Christian ministries or pastoral care and counseling. Should God have called you to any number of ministry vocations, or if you aren't quite sure which one yet, you will find a place here at Gardner-Webb where, as one of our former deans once said, your heart and your head can be friends. The School of Divinity strives to provide a holistic education that stretches the mind, stirs the heart, and prepares the call for Christian ministry. Immerse yourself in the life of the community and visit gardner-web.edu backslash divinity for more information. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. Happy 2018. Our podcast this week will focus on CBF's collaborative initiative, Civil Rides. Civil Rides is a three-day trek from the steps of the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, Tennessee to Jackson, Mississippi, that follows the footsteps of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to raise awareness around persistent rural poverty in America and advocate for racial justice and healing. Before we get to our conversation, we want to make you aware of the next month's worth of episodes, including New Baptist Covenants, Hannah McMahon, Caitlin Beatty of Christianity Today, the Director for Faith for Justice, Michelle Higgins, and the Atlantic's political and religion writer, Emma Green. Quick question, have you registered for ChurchWorks? ChurchWorks is a three-day event for all practitioners of education and spiritual formation in a congregational setting. ChurchWorks creates space for renewal and ministry through practices of creativity, community, and working. To teach the people of God, educators need a place to be equipped, to be inspired, and to be renewed. ChurchWorks will feature Dr. John Singletary. John is the Dean of the Diana R. Garland School of Social Work at Baylor University. ChurchWorks will take place at Trinity Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas, February 26th to the 28th. Visit cbf.net backslash cw backslash churchworks for more information and to register. Our guest for this week's podcast is Jason Coker. He's the field coordinator for Mississippi. He's also the national director for Together for Hope. He's a graduate of William Carey College, home of the Crusaders, probably a mascot that needs to be revised. Uh, But he also attended uh, Yale Divinity School and Drew University. Jason, thanks for joining the conversation. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, we won't unpack, you know, your full experience at William Carey College, one of the largest universities um, in the country. But can we can we settle in for just a second? The Crusaders, really? Yeah, that's a controversial name, and it has been controversial for a while. It's, um, you know, it's a um, little Southern Baptist college in South Mississippi, and um, the likelihood of creating change there may be low. Mm. 
It's a bit more fierce than my my double alma mater. Uh, Campbell is the fighting camels. The camels. Yeah. You know, so nothing strikes fear into the heart of the opponent like knowing you're facing off against fighting camels. Exactly. The only thing I think a camel is all ever, you know, probably created any kind of fears around the fleas that are on its back. But other than that, uh, so you um, are the national director for Together for Hope. Uh, it was formed in 2001 as a 20-year commitment to the 20th poorest counties in the United States. But a lot has happened and a lot has changed um, since 2001. So take us into Together for Hope. Well, uh, we started with that 20-year commitment. And it, originally, it was this uh, a guy who had a real passion for cities and he was do, wanted to do his research. And so he said, you know, what are the four, five poorest counties in America? And he thought for sure they would be all urban. And when the top five were rural, he goes, well, you know, let's look at the top 10. And the top 10 were all rural. And uh, he got up to 20. And when he realized that the top 20 poorest counties in the country were all rural counties, he said, you know, maybe we should shift our focus. And that, that gave birth to uh, what then was just called the Rural Poverty Initiative uh, that was given a name years later called Together for Hope. Uh, and now we've re kind of packaged that or reframed that as a rural development coalition. And that's true to who we are. We are a coalition of about 18 to 26 organizations across the country. Uh, they do very different things at the local level because we're asset. We follow the philosophy of assets-based community development. So, what's needed in Bridger, uh, South Dakota, might be different than what's needed in Shaw, Mississippi. Uh, but we do operate around four priorities of hope, which is education, health and nutrition, housing and environment, and social enterprise. So, those are our four main uh, foci. Uh, the country. All of our organizations at least do one of those things. Some of them do multiple of, uh, ones, but uh, we're shifting uh, from the 20-year commitment to the 24 counties to the 301 counties of persistent rural poverty with just an open-ended, all-out commitment. And uh, my job is to try to build that coalition in those counties uh, and leverage that coalition to, to make uh, impact across uh, the rural landscape of America. Now, um, in 2006, there was uh, a shift that happened within uh, Together for Hope. My understanding is it was a reframing of, um, I guess, self-understanding uh, to reflect the identity of um, these collaborative uh, organizations um, that really get down to uh, core identity and core beliefs. And, and y'all changed your vocabulary. Take us into that for just a little bit. Yeah, that, that was just uh, 2016, uh, just, uh, just a year and a half ago. And, uh, and, and that was to try to be uh, intentional with our language as far as identity goes, to make it um, coincide with the philosophy that we practice. So assets-based community development is our philosophy. And that, instead of going into a community and asking the community what it needs, we ask, hey, what, what do you have? What are your assets? What are your strengths? And after an hour of talking about that, it really energizes the committee, uh, the, the community, and they remember the assets that they've had all along. And, it, uh, and it's certainly a lot better conversation than talking about needs. After an hour of talking about needs, everybody's overwhelmed and feel, feels hopeless. 
But after an hour of talking about assets, people say, oh, you know what? We do have things here in our town that are good. So how do we focus on what's good to expand that and make it even better? Uh, so uh, because that's our philosophy, we, we kind of took another look at rural, uh, rural poverty initiative. Uh, we did a Dawnings retreat that uh, Harry uh, Rowland led with us in. In that retreat, we talked about you know, how long does an initiative have to be an initiative before it becomes something else. And, uh, and so we thought 16 years might be long enough to uh, remove the word initiative from our identity. And uh, when we, in that process, we talked about, we realized that we were really a coalition of, of various organizations across America uh, doing various things, but still kind of on the same page fighting poverty in our different locations. So um, we reframed it and talked about, you know, moved from initiative to coalition and then uh, moved away from terminology about poverty to development. Uh, and that is a, an assets shift uh, because if you're looking at poverty and that's all you're looking at, again, it's going to be a needs-based approach. And we really are trying to uh, create development uh, holistic development in rural America and uh, development in education and those other priorities of hope that I, I talked about. So uh, we uh, kind of reframed the terminology from poverty to focus on development. And but but rural stands. We we continue to work in rural America. So uh, rural development coalition is is the new language that we use uh, since that Dominic's retreat. Hmm. Well, I mean, a lot of changes have taken place since 2001, and, and one of those uh, being uh, moving from uh, 20 to uh, 301 counties of persistent rural poverty that's been identified by the USDA. That's, that's tremendous. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a lot of work, a lot of partnerships. So how does all this happen? Well, the, the thing about the top 20, I, I think the 20-year the commitment to 20 poorest counties was such a strong vision. It was a really strong vision. And as we started to live into that, we realized that the difference between the top 20 and the top 50 and the top 100 and the top 150 was really razor thin. So uh, in Mississippi, you had Sunflower County, which I think was... Uh, definitely one in the top 20 poorest counties, but m maybe the, the poorest, if, if not in the top five kind of thing. And uh, Sunflower County is right beside Bolivar County. And the per capita income in Sunflower was $8,888. And, uh, and so Sunflower County is definitely, uh, you know, in the rural poverty initiative at the time. Well, Bolivar County wasn't, and the difference between Bolivar County <coughs> and Sunflower County uh, was Bolivar County's per capita income was $9,008. So, uh, and Bolivar County wasn't in the top 20, right? So the difference between uh, the top 20 and the others, you're talking about hundreds of dollars a year in per capita income. So uh, we wanted to kind of look at some metrics that made sense so that we can really uh, focus in on the, the problems that, that are facing America in, in rural space. So uh, the USDA uh, came out in 2012 with uh, these counties of persistent poverty, both urban and rural. 
and there's 353 counties of persistent poverty in America. 52 of those counties are urban, 301 of them are rural. And so it's from that data collected uh, through the USDA that we said, hey, listen, let's change our shift and focus on those 301 counties. And as we expand the coalition, instead of, you know, it's not our job to go in and create uh, together for Hope site in, you know, in every town, in every one of these counties. We believe that there are already good people who are already in those counties doing incredible work. Uh, and some of them might already even have organizations that are at, at work doing the kind of work that we're doing. So we want to uh, bring those organizations into Together for Hope and, and work with them uh, from a partnership standpoint. So Stephanie and I have been uh, kind of working on what an MOU, a, a Memorandum of Understanding, would look like for an organization who's never heard of Together for Hope. And uh, once they hear about our narrative, whether they want to join us, and if they would, you know, this is the, this is the understanding we would have with them. Uh, and so I'm, I'm interested in finding those organizations that already exist and uh, talking about the assets that we have, the strengths that we have from all this year, all these years of work uh, that could be uh, uh, resources for those organizations and put those organizations into a national coalition that, uh, that gives them camaraderie, uh, stronger resources and potential for uh, funding. So that's, that's the nature of the shift to the 301. We're, we're 53 years removed from the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which ended segregation in public places and banned employment discrimination on the basis of race and color, religion, sex, and national origin. And it's considered to be one of the crowning legislative achievements of the civil rights movement. Um, yet for those that um, see this on a day-to-day -day basis, um, many would make the argument that we continue to see uh, systemic racism and oftentimes systemic poverty that comes out of that racism. And, and I think, I think as we um, look forward and, and to continue uh, the work that was, was started by, um, by so many, but we specifically focus in on, on Dr. King. Um, you know, it's a, it's a legacy that, that continues to speak to today. Um, but it's something that as, as a person who, uh, works alongside others who are um, fighting against uh, systemic poverty and systemic racism. Um, what would you say about about the legacy of Dr. King, um, and about uh, the continued struggle for uh, for the civil rights of others? <coughs> well, it, you know, the what we do across the country is so um, in keeping with the spirit of the civil rights movement. Uh, Together for Hope works within what we're calling five ethno-geographies. So you have native lands, which are mostly reservations. You have the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, which is mostly Latino, Latina. Uh, you have the Mississippi River Delta and the Cotton Belt, which is mostly African-American and then Appalachia, which is mostly white. In all of those areas, you have a, um, a pertinent intersection between race and class. And you know the, po the poverty work and the anti-racism uh, work, that stuff goes hand in hand. And a lot of the things that we do across the country, while uh, racism isn't one of our, you know, it's, it's not the thing that we work on, 
while we're doing community development, it is a byproduct because we are bringing people together to work for the common good. And when they do that, they recognize the humanity of each other. And so there's been some pretty incredible uh, moments in Together for Hope where you see in real transformation happen uh, within individuals, within communities, uh, churches, uh, and, and other organizations. So uh, what Dr. King, you know, his leadership in the civil rights movement is instrumental in the way we think about what we do. Um, and, you know, when he was killed in 1968, uh, he was killed in the middle of the Poor People's Campaign where he transitioned from uh, the, the civil rights movement into uh, earnest work on poverty. And it's, it's in that space where he was killed. And so uh, the, the, the work that he did there, uh, not just in civil rights, but in, in poverty issues, it's informative to how we think about what we do and also how we think about ourselves. I mean, the, 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 the I Have the Dream speech speaks of an America that is diverse and in that diversity has the capacity to come together and recognize the full humanity of each other. And that is part and parcel of what we're trying to do in Together for Hope. How do we bring people together for the common good that recognizes the full humanity of each other and understand poverty not as some kind of moral deficiency, as uh, a systemic evil, and I do think uh, poverty is uh, systemic and uh, from a policy level. So uh, while that's not the major work that we do, most of the work that we do is intervention work, uh, the systemic problems that, that, uh, that people in poverty face um, are, are real. And I think Dr. King and those like him uh, understood that and we're working to to combat that from a systemic uh, space. You know, you think about um, racism and you said it's not it's not your primary work. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I would I would make the argument it um, it's an essential aspect of what you do and what so many others do. Um, because whether the, the church wants to ignore it or not, uh, racism and the many forms it comes is, is a theological issue. Mm-hmm. And when we don't wrestle with this issue, when we hide from the issue, you know, we're, we're hiding from, um, from, I think America's first sin. And, um, you know, as we consider what it means to follow Jesus, for me, it's taking an ongoing action against the many expressions of racism and the expressions of uh, oppression and poverty and ec- economic exploitation. And, and for me, anything short of this is just a, a loosely based religiosity with a, with a smidgen of coincidence to the call of, of Jesus of Nazareth. So, you know, I, I know you would say, you know, this isn't the primary work of what you do, but so much the important work that Together for Hope and all its partners do is, is taking action against a very deep-seated theological issue that many churches uh, choose to ignore. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would only add to that, you know, racism is certainly one of America's original sins. The other one would be the genocide of the native population. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, 
you know, we work in South Dakota with some incredible human beings there um, on the Cheyenne River Reservation with Tony and Byron Buffalo. And they have educated us on uh, the, uh, the kind of the history of America as it relates to the native population and how they were, you know, systematically destroyed and um, forced migration uh, and things of that nature. So uh, the, the idea that the doctrine of discovery uh, and how terrible that has been for native people uh, in the Americas, uh, that we still, I mean, we still are in the middle of that right now. That is not something that happened a long time ago. That continues to happen today. And we, uh, Together for Hope, is in the middle of those conversations and fights. And um, yeah, so racism is, uh, it's everywhere we are, whether it's on the, the border of Mexico and Texas, whether it's on uh, reservations uh, or the, the Mississippi River Delta, the Cotton Belt, uh, or Appalachia, these are, uh, these are the legacies of racism and genocide uh, are just thick air in that space. Hmm. I, I'm going back to, and, and this is not to be uh, insensitive to, um, you know, the victims of that, that horrific Las Vegas shooting. Um, but, you know, it was, it was, it was labeled as uh, the largest mass shooting in U S history. And, we play a little bit of, of a revisionist history when we think around, no, actually the the largest mass shooting in U.S. history are the uh, endless undocumented cases of Native Americans um, being slaughtered for the sake of, of land, uh, driven driven by racism. And, and we can play revision history all we want to, but at some point, you know, the church has to come to grips with this and has to... Um, own up to our part in, in that history. And, and, and so much of that, as we think around the civil rights movement, there were so many um, um, white clergy who, um, who took a stand and stood against uh, white supremacy in, in the many forms that it was popular. And, um, but, but more often than not, uh, the church was silent. Right. Um, so, uh, as, as we think around Dr. King's legacy, of course, we can't help but to not think about um, the end of his life, um, which was in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, the, the Lorraine Motel is located at 450 Mulberry Street in downtown Memphis, and it opened its doors in the mid-20s. It only has 16 rooms. Um, it was uh, originally named the Windsor Hotel and then later uh, the Marquette Hotel. And Dr. King um, was... Uh, Lorraine, the Lorraine Motel's most famous guest, and he stayed at the motel numerous times, um, coming in and out of the city for different uh, initiatives. Um, but on April 4th, 1968, he stepped out of his room, room 306. He talked with a few friends in the parking lot below, and upon his return back to the room, the world was robbed of one of its greatest saints, and the civil rights movement uh, changed forever. I flew into Memphis last year, and although I was Arkansas bound for meetings, um, I had to go by the Lorraine Motel. I had to just stand and be present um, in that space. And and you you frame the civil rights um, initiative uh, starting 
place at at the Lorraine Motel. Why did the Civil Rides Initiative need to start there? Well, Civil Rides is going to be a three-day bicycling uh, tour, if you will. It's going to be a three-day ride through the Mississippi Delta that will end in Jackson. Uh, We're going to cover nearly 300 miles and ride through um, spaces of rural poverty. But uh, as we were putting this ride together, we wanted to start there at the Lorraine Motel because of Dr. King and his work with the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, That's such sacred and holy ground there. Um, And and we wanted to um, frame Together for Hope. I mean, Civil Rides is a a ride to raise awareness and money for Together for Hope. Um, We wanted to raise the profile of Together for Hope so that you know, everybody in the country knew the the plight of people who live in rural poverty. And uh, there's really no better place to start a ride like that than uh, the National Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel. And uh, as we were thinking about this, uh, we knew that um, the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's um, martyrdom was coming up April 4th, 2018. So I went to the uh, National Civil Rights Museum at the Lorraine Motel and spoke with their chief marketing officer, Ms. Faith Morris, to see if there was any way we could start the ride on that day. And uh, Ms. Morris, uh, you know, certainly let us know that that's going to be an all-day event. It's called MLK 50. Uh, it starts from 10 o'clock in the morning and goes through the evening. Uh, it's a full day of events there at the Lorraine Motel. And uh, I told her what we were trying to do, and she leaned across the table and she goes, son, you get as many riders as you can, and you're going to start the day. So uh, that was a little bit more than uh, I, I was even uh, bargaining for, but we are uh, fortunate to be able to open up the day of MLK 50 on the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's martyrdom with this ride to raise awareness for rural poverty. And in that sense, I do think we are absolutely walking in the footsteps of the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, And we'll ride for three days uh, straight down through the Delta, spend the night in Cleveland, Mississippi, uh, where Delta State University is setting up a, a finish line for us that first day. Then we'll ride across the Delta into the hills of Mississippi and Winona, Mississippi, Uh, spend the night, and then the next day ride into Jackson um, and and culminate there in Jackson. So uh, the the ride, we hope, can raise the the national awareness and prick the consciousness of America about what's happening uh, in rural uh, rural space. Um, And uh, being able to do that from the Lorraine Motel is uh, humbling. Uh, It's an honor. um, But it also kind of gives us huge responsibility, we, you know, to, to inhabit that space uh, it creates a level of responsibility. And I think um, we feel that uh, in this ride, but also uh, because of, of what's happening across America in rural space, where industry has really abandoned people and abandoned land. And the people who are, are there have just been left. They've been abandoned. and uh, the, the kind of social ethos in America is that poor people are poor because they're 
uh, lazy or deficient. And we really fight that narrative because it's not, I haven't met, I mean, in rural America, these are some of the most hardest, some of the hardest working people I've ever met. They've worked in fields and factories and mines um, all their lives and only for that industry to abandon them. And, uh, and there's just no jobs in rural America now. Uh, it's called rural overpopulation. It's not that there's too many people there. It's just not enough jobs for the people who are there. So uh, they've been abandoned, and now we blame them because they don't have a job, because the jobs have left, as if that was their fault. And so uh, we want to raise awareness that you know rural people living in rural America aren't lazy. They're hardworking folks uh, that have been abandoned. And uh, we want to find uh, creative and innovative solutions to uh, be a part of changing the narrative of, uh, of rural America. There's obviously some, some key stops along the way, as you alluded to earlier. Uh, tell us a little bit more about some of these key stops and, and why they matter. Yeah. I mean, right now the route goes uh, down Highway 61, right down Blues Highway, straight through the Mississippi Delta, the birthplace of American music. Um, we'll have small stops all, all along the way, but uh, culminating in Cleveland is important. Uh, Delta State University and Dr. Tamika Simmons has uh, is using this to be kind of the the end of a, a week of racial reconciliation uh, conversations that they're having there at Delta State. She's been instrumental in uh, working with us to create this finish line. She has students from Delta State who are gonna be working on this. She has a committee over um, the events that week that are gonna be uh, working with us to make sure this finish line is important. They're gonna be partnering with uh, the folks across the street at the Grammy Museum. Uh, which is the only other Grammy Museum in America besides the one in Los Angeles, right? And so the Grammy Museum uh, is uh, a beautiful space there in Cleveland. Um, and they'll host us uh, and bring us in to Cleveland and show us hospitality. That's an important stop for us. <laughs> as we, the next day, as we move east uh, through the Mississippi Delta, We'll be riding along some some more sacred ground close to the birthplace of Fannie Lou Hamer. Um, not we, We're still thinking about whether we're going to go through Money, Mississippi, where Emmett Till was abducted and eventually killed. Uh, so this the, the, the civil rights history throughout the Delta is significant, and we're going to be riding right through the middle of it. And it's not a small thing that uh, uh, James Meredith uh, started his march against fear from Memphis to Jackson. He was gonna walk from Memphis to Jackson. And on the second day he was shot in Hernando. And then Stokely Carmichael and Dr. King, uh, they took up the march and they, they finished marching all the way to Jackson. And I think at the time it was the largest civil rights march in the city of Jackson, maybe all time still where they came into Jackson. I think like 15,000 marchers marched into Jackson. And so uh, the ride, we're not gonna be following that exact path, but to start in Memphis and to end in Jackson uh, is reminiscent of that kind of space. So, uh, you know, our tires will be rolling past a lot of that, that sacred space uh, all along the Mississippi Delta and down to Jackson. It's mm, powerful. 
obviously the hope is to raise awareness and the hope is um, to raise um, good resources for the partners of Together for Hope. But what are your other hopes for this initiative? Awareness. I mean, we, we certainly want to raise money. I mean, you know, we don't want to lose money. That's our biggest uh, prayer. Please God, let's not lose money on this. But um, the biggest thing is to raise awareness and we're really trying to get the word out there. And I, I mean, I'm grateful for this podcast to help us do that. Um, because I don't, I mean, Raj Chidi is this economist from Stanford university and he did, he leveraged big data to come up with like five indicators for poverty in America. And the number one indicator for poverty in America is segregation. Um, What's incredible about that is that's not necessarily racial or ethnic segregation. That is economic segregation, where wealthy people live in a neighborhood, middle-class people live in a neighborhood, and poor people live in a neighborhood. And nobody ever crosses those boundaries unless the wealthy neighborhoods are employing people to come work in their houses or in their yards. And so the economic segregation in America makes it such that everybody thinks that the rest of the country is just like them. So if you're poor, you think everybody's poor and everybody's struggling. If you're middle class, you think everybody's middle class and like working very hard to hold on. And if you're wealthy, you think everybody's wealthy because that's your only experience. And I, I hope this ride is able to raise a banner for uh, persistent rural poverty in America so that people can know that no, it, it is not the same. Uh, not everybody in this country's doing fine. As a matter of fact, most people in this country are struggling to make it. And the economic situation in this country is so skewed uh, toward the wealthy right now. Uh, economic inequality is the second greatest uh, factor in uh, poverty in America, uh, according to Chidi's work. So uh, right now, economic inequality is is greater than what it was during the robber baron period, uh, because uh, it's so skewed to the wealthy. And and all that means is it is very hard for most people in this country to make it. Uh, the, the 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 threshold for the top ten percent income earners in America is one hundred fourteen thousand dollars for a family of four. So 90% of the United States of America lives on less than that. And if you make $114,000 a year, you know it's not easy to live on that. Now, that's the crazy thing. Even, even if you're making $114,000 a year for a family of four, it's not easy to live in America. And if you're making less than that, it's even harder. So most people in America are struggling right now. And what we're saying is like, yes, we, we acknowledge that, we raise that banner high, and we know that you're struggling, not because you're lazy or sorry or deficient or anything like that. You're struggling because it's hard to make it in America right now. And we are trying to create interventions to make it better, specifically in rural space. As we think around uh, the logistics for that, 500 miles, besides padded biking shorts, how can people best prepare for this initiative? <laughs> well, we, 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 we're backed up from 500 miles. It's only going to, it's going to be about 270 miles. So, uh, 
you'll need less padding. Uh, and, and originally we wanted a five day trip, uh, a five day uh, ride to New Orleans. It was gonna be 500 miles, but we had so few takers on that that we had to rearrange the narrative of our ride. So it's a three day, 270 mile trip. And uh, Rand, um, he's the guy I'm working with, Rand Jenkins in Texas. He's uh, in charge of the ride itself. Um, he's really good at knowing, uh, how to prepare for these things. He's done three, he does three day rides all the time in, over in Texas. Um, if you can look at our website, silverrides.com, uh, he's going to put up there, uh, an exercise schedule in order to get ready for it. Um, the route is already there. Our Facebook page, Civil Rides, has all this information too. So, um, that's available to us, um, uh, and, um, it's just going to take time. You got to, you got to be on your bike riding every week, two or three times a week. Um, I did a century ride, which is a hundred miles several years ago, um, to raise money for diabetes, uh, like American Diabetes Association. And, um, they had a great program for that. And at the end of that ride, I ended up going a little bit farther and it took me about eight hours to do a hundred miles. And I wasn't devastated at the end of that ride. These aren't, this isn't a race. So you're not trying to, you know, go as fast as you can for hundred miles. Uh, you're just trying to, you're riding and uh, the camaraderie that you have among the riders, all the volunteers that are going to be in buses along the way, uh, the people who are going to be there to host us and put us up uh, and, and, and feed us. Uh, there's a host of ways to volunteer. You can read, there's relay rides. So if you have two friends uh, and you don't think you can do the whole thing, you can do a hundred miles and let uh, one of your buddies do, you know, let the other two do a hundred miles themselves. So uh, the, the day of the ride, we'll have a loop that goes back to, to, I think a 40 mile loop that goes back to Memphis. So if you don't want to miss the all day festivity, you can do a 40 mile ride and come back and, uh, and enjoy the rest of the time there in Memphis. So there's a lot of options uh, for the ride, but um, we would love to have folks who want to do the whole thing. And, um, and there's um, some training there available for you. Well, and just looking at the scripture, description of, um, you know, what all's included in this, you know, uh, mechanics and light, you know, light repair gear, um, you know, if you need to catch a hitch, uh, you know, on, on a ride, uh, the hotel stay, uh, some of the meals, um, you know, and, and you get to be with a bunch of phenomenal people who are making this uh, a priority. Um, you know, so, so how can people get connected? How can people start to, to register for this event? Yeah, I think the website's the easiest way to, the registration's already on there uh, and it's available. So that's the quickest way. Uh, there's contact information for me and Rand uh, there. Um, so that, that's the, the quickest way to, to get more information. Uh, we've already started getting some folks uh, that's outside of our um, network that's found the ride and has already signed up, which is pretty funny. We have a Lutheran pastor from Memphis who recently contacted us, heard about the ride, and is just dead set on going. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun to see the energy that the ride creates in people um, because they want to be a part of something that, that's transformative uh, in America and that's good. 
and and this is good. It's truly good, and uh, it is fun to see people respond to it. I mean, it's it's humbling. It's exciting. Uh, I think those three days. Uh, the, it's a road trip on a bike, and a lot of our volunteers are going to be in uh, in a big bus, and there's going to be educational stuff as they ride down the road. Uh, talk about uh, talking about poverty. So if anybody wants to be a volunteer. Uh, and be on the bus uh, for three days. Um, that's we're we're looking for those folks too. So um, go to the website. Go to our Facebook page. I think we even have a Twitter handle. Uh, so um, all that's available to folks who want for, want more information. Well, Jason, we appreciate you joining the conversation and look forward to uh, seeing the fruits of uh, not only your work with Together for Hope, but specifically uh, the work that's happening with Civil Rides. Uh, if you want to volunteer, if you want to sponsor, if you want to participate, uh, visit civilrides.com. You can also, as Jason said, find them on Facebook and also find them on Twitter. Well, since Mama Hale has been saying that I have been mumbling my words since I was two years old, that Civil Rides R-I-D-E-S dot com. This podcast is brought to you by David Carell of Universal Creative Concepts. At UCC, they specialize in partnering with churches and ministries like yours to provide quality products with your logo or branding. David likes to find the right products that represent or fit your desired need and budget. UCC can logo virtually any product that you might be looking for. Need apparel like t-shirts, jackets, polos, socks for staff, youth groups, conferences, or for any branding need? UCC is your one-stop shop. UCC can provide all the logoed items that you use for your visitors, from pins to drinkware or tees for VBS. David desires to be your go-to guy for all items logoed. On a personal note, I've been using David at Universal Creative Concepts since 2009, and I hope you will give him an opportunity to serve your promo needs. Whatever you want logoed, David does it. Contact him today at one eight 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 go to guy That's one eight 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 go to guy or Corel at uccpromos.com. That's Corel, C-O-R-R-E-L-L, at uccpromos, with an S, dot com. Hey, you won't be disappointed. Well, that's it. That's our first podcast of 2018. We look forward to bringing you stories of practitioners, authors, and innovators from across the fellowship and around the world. Visit cbf.net for more information about the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship.